my real heart on Father's Day, one of the things I've observed as a young pastor is a lot of times what we do is on Mother's Day, we bring moms in and we give them flowers and we encourage them and we have these great warm Mother's Day messages. And then we bring fathers in on Father's Day and we put the gloves on and we start punching and we hit them as hard as we can and we bloody them up and then kick them out there and say, you losers, go do a better job. I don't know why that is. I've I've wondered that and scratched my head at that for years. But one of my hearts, I vowed as a young pastor never to have a Father's Day where fathers are not motivated and encouraged. Because what you do as a father deeply, deeply impacts not only the children in your home, but our society. And it is so important. It is too important to come in here and beat you up. It's more important to come in here and say, listen, those of you that want to do this well, let's get in the game. Let's get excited and let's head out there and do it well. But before we go there and before I can really encourage the hearts of the fathers that are here that are doing a good job, that want to do a good job, that want to fight this through, there is a reality that we have to talk about. I can't ignore it. As I said in my prayer, this generation is known by sociologists and anthropologists that have studied cultures and history and people. This generation is known as a fatherless generation. And the pain runs deep. In a room this size, it is probably over 50% of you have come from difficult homes, broken homes, abandoned fathers, disengaged and unconnected. The thing that's interesting is I study this, the reality of this fatherlessness it is the most, some of the stuff I found over the, I've been studying this for the last couple of weeks and some of the sociologists that have studied this and written this, one of them says this, it is the most fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. It is the leading cause of declining child well-being in our society. It is also the engine driving our most urgent social problems from crime to adolescent pregnancy to child sexual abuse to domestic violence against women and on and on the stats go. of young people with emotional disorders, please hear this, 85% of young people with diagnosed emotional disorders come from fatherless homes. Over 70% of all suicides in America come from fatherless homes. And I could go on. I mean, you can get out your smartphone now and Google this or get home this afternoon and Google and look at the stats of what fatherlessness brings to our society. Almost every ill in our society that gets our heart worked up can be traced back to the lack of a dad. But more than that, more than the stats, more than the reality of this generation is the pain and the heartache and the emotion behind them. Last week I was at Lowe's. For those of you that don't know, this is a really cool thing. Dads, I'd encourage you to get on the Lowe's website and check this out. It's called, I think it's a you build it um, kind of clinic. They do two a month. It's completely free. You sign up online, you head in, and you build this little project with your kids. They give you everything. Your kids get a cool apron. They get goggles. They get little badges. Then they put in their apron. It is a cool thing. Really, and it's not cheesy little stuff either. It's actually the kids come home with something that they treasure and value. So I went in there last week to build a miniature golf little putt-putt thing that looks kind of like a birdhouse with a hole in the middle and a little fan that spans where they hit this big, huge ball through. 
I get all three of my kids lined up. And what the, the goal of it is, is to get the, the parents engaged with the child building. And so Lowe's doesn't provide people. You actually work with your child. So we're lined up. They lay out, they lay out this big work area. And so we're lined up all across this work area. And off on the end of the, the workbench is a little boy that I'm going to guess is somewhere between seven and eight years old. So I'm here with my three kids trying to keep ordering it. It's hard because they give you little nails and they give you a hammer and, they, and it's, I got three kids and there's pieces going all over and they, you know, what's this daddy? And next thing something's on the floor and you, you know, it, I understand the stress and the pressure that gets built up inside of you where you're like, oh my goodness, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> so I get that. But looking at the end, there is a dad with his little boy. And listening to what was coming out of his mouth broke my heart. This little boy that's supposed to be there having fun and really having a good time is this dad going, stop it. Why do you always do that? Oh my goodness, give me that. You're going to mess this up. What in the world is wrong with you? I got home and I told my wife and she says, well, did you confront him? You know, looking back, I wish I had. I wish I'd started talking to him like that and say, what's it feel like, dude? What's it feel like to be a, to this little boy to sit there, to be looking to a dad and have him spout venom out of his mouth at a time that's supposed to be fun. And then I thought about, you know, if he's doing this here in public, what does it look like in his house? And my heart breaks for that reality all over this land. I want to play a music video for us. It's by Kelly Clarkson. And here's why I'm going to play this video. This is a church. Why are you playing a video that plays on MTV? Well, here's why. Here's why I'm going to play this video. Pop culture, music, movies, everything in our culture. How I view it, it's like a mirror. It reflects our culture. It reflects their heart. It reflects their battle. It reflects what they are dealing with. You look at why songs are popular today. Why are they popular? Yes, yes, I get it. Some of them feel good. Some of them make you groove. Some of them make you really want to get up and they they have this beat that, yeah, it's, it's a cool song. Some of them it's cool because, yeah, it sings about stuff that I know I shouldn't be involved with, but it has this allure and this temptation. So we listen to some of the garbage. I get it. I completely get that. But the reality is pop culture is a mirror. And if we can learn to look into it and and relate and understand what this world is dealing with, I think it moves our heart to want to step out and help. So this song, as we watch it, I want to read Kelly Clarkson herself. This is a statement that she talks about this song. She says, it's a song. It's a song about fatherlessness, a broken home. She says, it's a song that hits really close to home for me. Kelly came, from those of you who know, she's the American, some of you sitting here going, who's Kelly Clarkson? (laughs) Kelly Clarkson was the American Idol, the first season. She won the very first season of it and kind of got American Idol off and running, and she's still producing uh, today a number of hits. But she comes from a broken home. She says, a lot of people can relate to this song, even if it's hard. I think it's important for people to see that kind of raw emotion, that kind of heartbreak, because it happens in real everyday life. Even though I have grown through the pain in my own experience, I can still relate to the pain of the song. Tons of people have told me 
that this song brings out those same emotions in them and that they can see themselves in this video. I think people relate to this song because it puts words to their experience and maybe, just maybe, in a way, it speaks for them. That's Kelly Clarkson. She reports that as she sings this song in concerts and tours across the land, people, this is the one song that people come up and talk to her and tell her they relate to this song. So as you watch this song, I think it's important. Some of you are going to watch this and you're going to see that pain on that screen and it's going to hit right close to home. If you're not in that position, my encouragement is you watch this song, try and feel. Put, I come from a great home. So when I watch this stuff like this, I try and put myself in the position of that little girl that you're going to see on this screen. So again, don't watch it for entertainment. Watch it to connect with the emotion of this fatherless world. So the first time I watch this, it's hard to get through without tears, very honestly for me. It's a song where there's a girl crying out saying, because of you, I play it safe now. I don't step out and risk. Because of you, she says, I don't trust myself or anyone else. The shape of not having a father that pressed in on her. You know, as I think about this, probably the hardest thing about a fatherlessness life is living with the knowledge that someone turned their back on you, abandoned you, walked away, stepped out, left you. Someone who shouldn't be doing that. Someone who should be there to instill strength and courage and love and compassion. I'll never forget the first time I came face to face with this. Never will I forget this. I've shared the story before, but I just, I just never forget Binghamton, New York. I come down there to bring a 15 year old boy back that I worked with all summer at camp. And I bring him home for his mom's wedding. And I'm laying on the floor of his trailer, their trailer at 2 AM in the morning. Me and a friend who brought him down together are startled and awake by the mom's drunken boyfriend coming home. It scared the pants off of me, the state that he was in. First time I'd ever seen it, experienced it, and lived with it face to face. And the emotion in the heart, the pain that I felt in my heart, of thinking of that 15-year-old boy that lives with that day in and day out. I remember driving back upstate New York, where, where I lived at the time, quiet, somber, reflective, and I remember driving a stake into the ground then and there saying, I will give my life. I had no idea I wanted to be a pastor. I had no idea I wanted to be, all I said is, I'm going to give my life, no matter where I go or what I do, to working with the fatherless. I will pour my guts out to help them and serve them. That's what attracted me to Bethany. When we walked in here as a candidate and saw over 50 young people that have been adopted and the heart that this church has for the fatherless, it moved us. And I said, here it is. This is what I've, this is what I've been serving my whole life. And here it is in a church. And I want to come here and, and, and engage that and make it even bigger and stronger. But here, I want to say this. A lot of times we think of the fatherless, we think of adoption, we think of foster, but it's so much more than that. It's also the home where divorce is reality. It's the home where dad is present in body, but completely checked out emotionally. 
It's the home where dad is there. And with his words, he pours acid and destroys with his hands that should love and care and nurture. He slaps and hits. Now, before we shift gears here this morning, and I think really encourage dads, and I think in some ways, when you look at a picture like that video, it does encourage dads. Because I watch that, I say, it drives me to say, man, I don't want that for my kids. But before we really shift gears and say, let's encourage fathers, what I've asked is my wife, Tanya, to sing this morning. She's going to sing a song dealing with the reality of who God is as our father. God has come. And he's described all throughout the pages of scripture as a father who adopts through Jesus, brings us into his family. And he says in the pages of scripture, we can call him dad. And he loves us and he is crazy about us. So my prayer is, as we shift gears, if you watch a video like that and you relate, as you think of the hurt and the pain maybe you have in your story, I've asked Tanya to come and just sing and to give you a sense of hope. And maybe this morning, a slight glimmer of light that says, you know what? My earthly father may have turned his back on me, but I have a heavenly father that loves me and has adopted me. Let me pray with us before moving on in our message. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that we have a God who loves, whose heart is big, uh, who has come to adopt, to bring us into his family. May those who related to this first part of this message, who get the pain, may they just find this morning a small glimmer of hope in who you are. Comfort them. May you know that you're for them. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Now to kind of shift gears, I want to have some fun here, actually. We put this on Facebook this week. We started with 75, went to 85. Some of you wanted us to go higher. Uh, But we want to give away, we thought, what's a cool dad gift to celebrate dads? As I think about dads, you know, in the pages of scripture, I was talking to Chris this week. I said, Chris, can you name for me one really good dad in the pages of scripture? Do you know there aren't? I couldn't find one who's referenced as a dad and who does, who's referenced in a positive light as a father. I couldn't think of one. Maybe Joseph was the closest we came to, the the father, the stepfather of Jesus. There are some jacked up fathers in the pages of scripture that then are honored in the New Testament for being heroes of our faith. So I want to kind of be lighthearted. I want to let's, let's fathering's important, but hey, we, we all blow it. So let's encourage our hearts this morning to do that. I want to, we're trying to think of a fun thing to give away. So we thought, you know what? In most homes, stereotypically, the dad is responsible for the car, right? They're the ones that's got to get the oil changed, to get it washed, to get it vacuumed. In my home, vacuuming means sucking all the moldy chicken nuggets and the French fries and the who knows what. I find things in there that I'm like, what in the world is this? So we thought to encourage dads, we would, we would give away um, some gift certificates to Cloyster Car Wash where you can just kick your feet up, sit in their waiting room, watch TV, drink a soda while they change your oil and they vacuum all that blessed stuff out of your car. So to do that, I want all the dads in the room, here's how we're going to do this, to stand to your feet. All, if you're a dad this morning, stand up. And we're going to do a little elimination game. We're going to eliminate, and the last one standing gets the prize, okay? And I think there's going to be some fun. If you are a BGF employee, meaning you, not your family, not your family, just you. So if your wife works here, (laughs) so if your wife is paid, you're still good. You're in the running. We just want to knock Chris out of the game there. 
<laughs> Second one. If you are wearing pastel colors this morning, sit down. Because you're not a man anyway. <laughs> we have no pastel in this whole room? Ah. Pink, light, baby blue, none of that. Look at this. We got a bunch of men here at Bethany. All right. Okay, well, let's this next one. If your wife, if you chose your clothing today, stay standing. If your wife chose for you, sit down. I saw a few. There's a few honest ones there. <laughs> there were a few honest ones. Cool stuff. Now, the next one. Do you own a car that seats five or more? If not, so if you don't have a large capacity car, you need to sit down. If you don't own a minivan, a van, something that seats more than five. Look at this. We still got a lot standing. Okay, next question. If you drive or own a full size or a minivan, you can stay standing. That is the test of real manhood right there. You can stay standing if you own a minivan or a full-size van. Remember the day that we moved to the minivan? There's no going back. I love it. <laughs> Next question. If you did not cross something off your honey to-do list in the past 10 days, sit down. Or if you did, stay standing. So yeah, if you got something off your list... You can stay on your feet. If you didn't, you got to sit down. Look at these good men. I'll tell you what. This is amazing. Next one. Now, here's the thing with this question. I know that's Drew on there. Drew, I apologize if you don't like your picture up there. We went on Facebook to try and find a, a relevant current picture of fathers with their kids playing in the backyard. This is all we could find. So it's been a while, but have you played with your children this week? intentionally taking them to the park or going out in the backyard to swim, to swing, or to play with them. If you did that, you can stay on your feet. If you didn't, sit down. Look at this. We still have a few left. Okay. Now, here are the tie-breaking questions. Who has the most kids? Eric went down already. He's only got one. <laughs> Who has the most children? Look at that. We got two here. Gene, how many do you have? You have three? You guys have four, five. That's right. Here we go. There's our winner. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. There you go. And one on the way, too. <laughs> there we go. Happy Father's Day. Sorry, Chris. I really, I really wanted you to have that. <laughs> And he's verging on pastel too, so we, he would have. <laughs> With that said, I want you to see a verse in Luke. It's in the book of Luke. This will kind of get us moving to kind of close our service out. Luke chapter 1. Now, this is a really cool verse. And what we're going to read here in just a minute, as you look at this verse, Luke chapter 1, this is about John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, for those of you who may not be familiar with your Bible, John the Baptist was this prophet who came before Jesus. And the purpose of John the Baptist was to get people ready to receive Jesus, the Messiah, the promised Savior of the nation of Israel. 
the one who was foretold in the early parts of the Bible to come and to save his people. So John the Baptist comes, and this is what it says about him. Many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back to the Lord their God. So he's going to bring people back to God. Verse 17. So no verse 17. There it is. Okay. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn. Look at what it says he's going to do. Out of all the things he could be doing, this, this is the one thing that's zeroed in on, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And then he goes on to say, in the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he's going to do two things. He's going to go after the disobedient, the wicked. He's going to say, I want you to see the wisdom of who is coming. But the, the, of the two things, that's the one, and we can kind of expect that when that makes sense. But the first one to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. Here's the cool thing. When you, when a father's heart is soft towards their child, they're open and ready to receive Jesus. That's why I'm so passionate about this fatherless generation. I'm so passionate to encourage you men in this room, myself included, to say, you know what? When our hearts are soft towards our kids, when our hearts move with compassion for our kids, when our hearts are overwhelmed with love and joy of these small little children that God has given us or that we've adopted or that we've brought into our home or that we work with, when God moves our hearts in that direction, he's opened our church and our society to the reception of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. One of the things I've always said is the mark of a true man. I love watching it. When I see a young man or even an older man, I saw this past week, we were with the young at heart. We do a thing um, once a month where they tell their, we interview one and we sing some songs. My little girl was there, Ava. She's what, 18 months old, sweetie? Something like that, somewhere in that ballpark. You kind of lose count after a while. But Norm Graham, is he here? Where is he? I don't see him. He's on vacation. My little girl, she's there walking around and all of a sudden she looks up to him and goes like this. I've always said that you can tell a lot by a man by how a child responds to him and how they respond to a child. And that's John the Baptist comes and he says the heart of a father as it moves towards their children, it opens and prepares a people for Jesus Christ. So this morning, can I encourage you, dads, with you allowing your heart to move towards your kids, you prepare your home, this church, and our society for Jesus Christ. It's a powerful thing. Now, as we kind of think about this, one of the things is I've, I'm, I'm in this journey. I'm neck deep in fathering. I've got four little ones at home. They keep me very busy. But one of the things that I've learned over the last few years as, as a father I've realized that much of my role as a dad has been measured by my wife's success as a mother. You say, what does that mean? First, let me give Tanya a lot of credit. Here's what I mean by that statement. First, a woman with small children has natural gifts, God-given gifts and abilities that I as a man do not have. Women are these natural, empathetic caregivers that bring their children into themselves. Men, we do not have that natural, God-given, birthed stuff in us. Some do, and that's cool, 
But the average typical man, so I look at my wife, who I love dearly. She's just, as she works with young kids, she's got this natural ability that I don't have. So I find a lot of times me looking out to my wife to define what I should be doing as a dad because she knows better. Along, Along with that, Tanya, uniquely our home, came from a terrible home. And she is, one of the things I love about her is she's never taken parenting for granted. From day one, before we even had kids, she made it her mission in life and her passion to read and to study and to be mentored and to know what it means to mother. So she's, in a lot of ways, read more than me, studied more than me in, in this area. See, I come, one of the things I've learned from people who come from good homes, I came from a good home, Tanya from a not-so-good home. What I've learned from people who come from good homes, we just kind of have this life's going to work out mentality. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is. It's like we, it all turned out good for my family. It's all going to turn out for the one to come. People who don't come from good homes do not live with that mentality. And they, and so Tanya for years just studied and worked hard. So in a lot of ways, my fathering was measured by her as a mother. And as I got to know friends and I read books and whatnot, I realized, I think it's a fairly common thing, especially for young fathers to measure what it means to be a father by looking at the mother. Now, I picked the book up because as my kids are getting older, I'm realizing there is, we don't fight, but there is differences as, we're, as our kids get older. I watch some of those differences. I love to throw my children as high as I can and see if I can catch them when they come down. We have a picture of Eden when she was small in my parents' pool. She must be a good 10 foot above the water. Easily. I looked for, I was going to try and get it on our, up here this morning, but she's easily 10 foot in the air. Now, most of you that are mothers in this room, <gasps> dads, yeah, way to go. Throw her up there. Get it higher. I think you go two more feet. So there's differences that come out. So I picked this cool book up, and I, I, I don't often bring books to the stage, and, and just, but I would encourage, especially if you have in your home a boy and a girl, it's called Secure Daughters, Confident Sons. It's by Glenn T. Stanton. It just came out here recently. He's a focus on the family guy. But what he talks about, and this is what I'm going to spend a few minutes on, He talks about how different I am as a dad and she is as a mom and how God has wired it that way. And men, the encouragement is, is to leave here this morning and not measure ourselves by mom, but measure ourselves by what it means to be a man because your boys and your girls need men at home. So with that said, I want to start with a verse. I actually want you to turn to this one. Turn to the very beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter 1. Very beginning of your Bible. If you're not familiar with your Bible, it's an easy one to find right in the very beginning. So whether you're flipping on a Bible or have your smartphone out, it's right up there at the very front end of it. Genesis chapter 1. I want you to look at one of the most foundational and fundamental verses for understanding mankind. Verse 27. This sets the course, I think, of your understanding of man and woman. Verse 27 of chapter 1. So God created man in his image. God created. We didn't evolve. We didn't just happen. God was instrumental in making us. It says later in scripture, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. God didn't just make you. It didn't just happen. You were knit together and put together in your mother's womb. 
He loves you. He knows you. He was intimately involved in the process of creating you. The second half of the verse. In the image of God, he created him. Male and what? Female, he created them. I get asked this question from time to time. Is God a man? How would you answer that? Is God a man? Now, in our Bible, he's often referred to with a masculine pronoun. But is he a man? Some of you are like, ah, I want to answer. <laughs> I would say I have a hard time hearing this, but not fully. Because it says somehow, in some way, in his image, he created them, both male and female. In some capacity, my wife, who is female, in case you didn't notice that, we're different. I'm a man, she's a woman. In some way, she reflects the image of God in her femininity. In some way, I reflect the image of God in my masculinity. We are different. Man and woman, we are different. I think God designed it so that when we come together, we beautifully form and reflect God more wholly and completely. But we're different. Here's what I want to stress on this. (laughs) Fathers, you're not a woman. You're different. And here's the thing. For some reason in our society, our culture, when we we try so hard to put men and women on the same playing field, we're different. Different is not bad. Matter of fact, different. Those of you who have a Bible in your hands, what makes this book work? White pages, black letters. It's different. It's difference that makes this work. Difference makes the world go round. Different is not bad. Different does not mean unequal. Different does not mean inferior. Please hear me on this. Different means different. I want to look at two verses that kind of stress this. The first one is in the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter three says there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free. Look at this male nor female for all are what one in Jesus equal different does not mean unequal. Next verse. First Peter. This one's a powerful one. Husbands in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the what weaker different as the weaker partner. And I'll catch this as heirs with you of this gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So he clearly stresses, you know what, Adam, your wife and you stand on equal ground before God. She is a fellow heir of the grace of God, of the gift of life. She and you are equal, but you're different. You're different. You're stronger. She's weaker. It's kind of a known fact why in the Olympics we have male sports and female sports, right? The male body, typically, now I've been around some, some who don't break this mold, but typically the female is not as strong as the male. So you were different. And so the encouragement, I think, on Father's Day today is to be different and to live that difference out. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things that I've learned over the years One of the hardest things in my married life and role as a husband is realizing that I'm married to a woman. I know that's okay to laugh. I've never mistaken my wife for a man, but the reality is she doesn't think like me. She doesn't process like me. 
We parent different. We approach life different. And the difference is good. And God has called me to be a man. He's called you to be a man if you're a man. He's called her to be a woman. He's called you to be a woman if you're a woman. And when the the work together, it's a good thing. Now, I just want to give one quick kind of example of of what science has shown about this. This is cool. When the differences come together, it really works. What does it mean to be a masculine father? Here's one of the things that science, and I think the Bible, bears this up pretty strong. You know what, to be a masculine father? Let me ask you this question. And some of you saw my Facebook post this week, so you're already going to know this answer. Where does a child learn empathy and compassion? From mom or from dad? You'd think. You want to say mom, right? Science has consistently, repeatedly shown that children learn to empathize from dad, not from mom. And I think scripture bears this up very well. Here's why. One study done by the University of Chicago watched children from the 1950s through the 90s. They studied and followed these children, thousands of kids, to look at how they grow. And, and they were focusing on compassion and empathy. And here's what they found. This is, this is from them. It says, the strongest factor in children demonstrating greater levels of empathetic conserve, concern in their 30s and beyond was a father's participation in the early care. It goes on. The study's authors explain that this factor of paternal child care, I mean, the, this role of the father carried more weight, listen to this, than the three strongest maternal factors combined. Altruism and generosity in children were related to active involvement in child care by fathers. Now, why is that? Why is that? I want to look at some verses and I want to talk about how that study saw this happen in man. First thing, I want to look about who God is. As mentioned earlier, father, fathering is one of the largest subjects in the Bible. 1,100 times plus is what it's referenced in our English Bibles, the subject of father. A couple of those references land with, with nature to who God is. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30. The Lord your God, who is going before you, will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. Before your very eyes... And in the desert, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you. Now, look, he, he, he parallels it to a father. He carried you as a father carries his son. That sounds empathetic, doesn't it? That sounds compassion. He carried you as a son all the way you went until you reached this place. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God. So he goes on. Next verse I want to look at. There's a couple on your, there's a couple on your um, sheet too that are going to be different from this. But here's Psalm 103. Catch this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We're going to talk about that thought next week in full as we get back to 1 John. As far as a father, look at this. Look at the trait that it gives to fatherhood. As a father has what? There it is. Compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. There it is again. He's, he's intimately involved in how you're formed. He remembers that we are dust. He loves you deeply. Next verse comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 
Now, this is the Apostle Paul, and he writes, Praise be to the God and fathers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at, look at what he says. The father of what? Compassion, fathering, masculinity, referenced in comparison with compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So here, multiple references in the Bible referring to God the Father, and the one attribute that they seem to pull out is compassion. Now, let me come back to the scientific studies a minute. Here's how this works. To a child, science and studies have seen this. To a child, a father is unique and attractive because he doesn't mother. My kids view me differently than they view my wife. They just, they, science has seen this. Father's care tends to be, be more, reactive and inst- more reactive than instinctual, which creates a pleasant experience of surprise and excitement for children. Fathers are more interested in getting a child playfully riled up than what the mother is. By your laughter, you relate. That's the dad's role. We just, here's, matter of fact, one, one scientist said it this way. I love this. Fathers see children as cool little people to have fun with. I say that all the time to my kids. You know what? God gave you to me because you're just a cool little play toy. I love it. I love playing with them. I love throwing them. I love watching them land on the, safely. I watch, like, watch land on the bed and bounce the bed and make them fall over. I love, they, so a child has learned to look to dad with this anticipation and this excitement. They look to mom as someone who cares. Moms is the same scientist said moms see children as cool little people to do things for both are valuable. Now here's how this works. Fathers love to roughhouse. Right? Fathers, I mean, I love wrestling with my little boys. I love it. And my little girls too. They join in. And even at times, Tanya jumps in in the game. It's like they can't quite get dad to the ground, so they holler for mommy. Mommy knows all the little ticklish spots on daddy, so daddy knows how to get daddy down to the ground. But we love the rough house. We love so much so that I've never wrestled a day in my life. Never have I wrestled. But my little boy decides to wrestle this year. When I ask him why, he says, because you wrestle with us at home. No, that's not quite the same thing, but that'll, hopefully you enjoy it. So we let him wrestle. But as we roughhouse and as we play and as we do all kinds of crazy things in the room, what, the, what happens? This inevitably happens. Chris has a good story like this too. I was talking to him this week. Inevitably, I, I think of one. I have, um, Luke is coming at me head on. I'm kind of down on my hands and knees. Eden is, is at my side. Little Ava is there. So I'm trying to watch and protect her. So I'm trying to keep this all under control. But Zachy disappears out of sight. I don't know where Zachy gets to. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear this, oh, and bang, square in the middle of my back. I drop to the floor. I am writhing in pain. I'm like, oh my goodness. Now what do I do as a father at this point? What do you do? I, don't, I didn't yell at him. I, don't, I was stern. I turn him and say, Zachariah, no. What did I just teach Zach? Here's what social science has figured out. What I have done, moms teach kids to get in touch with their emotions. Dads teach them how to control them. 
I've just looked at my son and say, Zach, no, he gets all riled up and it just, he gets into it. And it takes over him, takes him over. And I look at him and say, Zach, no, no, no. Well, you can't jump on someone's back, especially when they're not looking. Zach just learned in that moment how to control his emotions. I hope. <laughs> he hasn't done it since. So apparently he got it through his head. Now, as I think about that, what, what happens is, and you think about the person of God, and you think about a masculine figure. What a, children, what a young child does is they look at me as a dad, especially as I roughhouse with them. Do my kids know that I could put them on the ground in a second? Do they, in, in, do they intellectually know that? Absolutely. They know that they come at me and they're always saying, we're going to get dad this time. We can get him down. They'll, they'll, they'll scheme together. They'll do everything they can to get me down. But they instinctively know that I am wired a whole lot bigger and stronger than they are. So what they watch me do is hold my strength back. Isn't that what God does with us? Isn't God this huge, gigantic, mind-blowing? Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 25 says it this way. It says, God's weakness is stronger and bigger than man's strength. God is huge. God is strong. God is powerful. That's masculinity at its finest. But a masculine, a man, and what it means to be a man is to live that out under control. So as children, as they watch their dads, the scientists see this over and over. What they watch is they watch moms help their, the femininity, watch the children get in touch with their emotions. They watch dads help them manage their emotions. They watch dads hold back and adjust to the situation. They see me reading the cues of my wife as she jumps into play. I don't just go full bore. I read their cues and adjust. And the child watches that, and that's empathy, isn't it? Empathy is when you look at someone outside of yourself and you adjust who you are to meet their needs. And so as I think about this, and I could go on with thing after thing, but I just wanted to share that one of how it works, of a man needs to be a man. And when the, when the mom is a mom and the dad is a dad and the two work together, you create healthy whole children that come together to see the image of God at its finest. This list got put up here. Just, I wanted to just throw it up. Some of you have already read it. This came from the book um, that I read. I thought it'd be fun to put up there. This is, again, fathers. Have you ever wondered, you know, maybe your wife criticizes you at times. Like, like you see the one half down there, they stress competition. I'll say things at times, and Tanya just looks at me like, why did you just say that? I mean, come on. We're about equity here. Let's, let's keep it all. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see who can run faster. I, that's just a good thing. <laughs> but it's a good thing that I'm that way. It teaches my kids. See, and as we work together, here's how this list works. You know, I stress competition. She stresses equity. I stress doing and accomplishing she stresses, and again, this is generally stereotypical. Sometimes we cross this. She stresses being and the relationship. The father is looked to encourage large motor skills. The mother is the one that typically develops the fine motor skills. And you go on down through there. Fathers push the limits. Mothers mind limits. I was at Derek and Jackie's wedding. They had all kinds of kids there yesterday. And I was watching some of the dads interact with their kids. I saw this all over the place. Dads play with the kids, get them riled up, and moms are sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Just one. It's, it's who we are. It's how God wired us. So as we end, 
I can't stress enough how important it is, fathers, to be a man. To be a man. It's okay to be a man. I'll tell you, our, the, the, the feminist movement, I'm glad for it in many ways because it did things for women that I am ashamed that men did things to women as I look back through history. I'm glad women can vote today. I'm glad women have the equal rights that I have. I'm glad the old glass ceiling has been broken. I am, I am thankful for the feminist movement for that. But one of the things that I've found from the feminist movement is I find myself at times thinking our masculinity is something to overcome and to apologize for. It's not. God has wired you to be a man. And as you live as a man, I wish I had time to go into all what that, what it really means to be a man. But as you live as a man, and my wife lives as a woman, as a female, as God created us, male and female. And as we learn to come together, those differences make for a healthy child. I want to end with a story to encourage the dads. I walked into the doctors uh, this past... Let me say one thing too before I share this story. One of the questions that I've heard come up is, what if I'm in a single parent home and I have no dad for my children? Can I just say just a quick thing about that? If you're a man in this room and you've raised children, can I encourage you to mentor? Can I encourage you to get in the game and find a family or a boy who doesn't have a dad and be a man to him? Studies again show that mentoring makes a huge difference in those single parent homes where the man is absent. Let me end with this story and we'll close with a song and head home. I went head into the doctors this past fall with Ava to get a, I think it was a flu shot and they had to do something else. I forget why I ended up, I don't, I usually don't take our kids to the doctors. That's usually my wife that does that. So I walk into this doctor's, it's, it's over at Roseville Pediatrics down in Oregon Pike, large waiting room and all kinds of activity in there. And there's a lady standing, sitting behind the counter. She's, I'm going to guess she's in her late sixties, somewhere in that ballpark. And she looks at me. And when I walk in, she says to me, she says, you know what? You young fathers today really encourage me. I said, you don't know me. I just walked in here. I have a little baby and you just are telling me I encourage you. She goes, it is such a difference from my generation. She goes, if you look around this waiting room, she said, you see a lot of dads here with their kids. When I was a mom, you never saw men in the waiting room with their children. She goes, and she just speaks into me (laughs) in a way that I want to speak into you. She looks at me and she goes, you know what? Kind of like a grandmother to me, shepherding my heart. She says, you know what? She goes, I don't know you. But she says, men have a lot on their shoulders today that my generation did not have. You work hard to provide. You work your tail off to work. You come home then and you've got a lawn to mow. And she lists all these things that are classic male things to take care of. You've got a wife to care for. Now we've added to your plate, bringing your child to the doctors. And a lot of the stuff that has been classically, and especially in past generations, more female driven. And she looks at me and she says, you're making a difference. Thanks for being involved in your child's life. She goes, it's cool. 
Now, here's a grandmother figure saying this to me. I thought I was going to cry right there in the waiting room. I'm thinking, oh, wow, that's really neat. So can I say to those of you who are dads here, be a man. Don't apologize for your masculinity. Roughhouse with your boys. Be tough, be strong. Show your boys how you control that and you use that for the, for the benefit of others. Reflect the image of God in the masculinity that he has given you. And please know with all my heart, one of the things that I go to bed with every night when I'm weary and tired with small children is I continue to tell myself by simply showing up and being engaged, I'm making a difference. So men, if you're showing up and you're engaged, you're making a difference. I want to do something different as we close in prayer. Can I ask you to stand? And I want to specifically pray for the men in the room. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Because I think as I look at the pages of scripture, we see a God who is huge, who is big, who is mind-blowing. But yet we see a God who adjusts that strength to carry us, to come to our level, to empathize, to walk with us. God, that is a cool thing. God, it's a masculine thing to, to be embodied with strength. First Peter verse says that you have given men strength that you have not given women. So God, help us to live out with that, ma- that strong masculine nature that you have given us. Help us to model Help us to model your compassion by by allowing that strength to be kept under control and to be used and adjusted for the situation at hand to demonstrate empathy and compassion with that strength. God, thank you specifically as I close in prayer. Thank you for every man in this room who is fathering and doing it well. Whether they're in their 50s and 60s and their kids are now having children themselves and they're now shifting into what it means to be a grandfather. Or whether they're sitting this morning maybe with a pregnant wife. And the excitement and the energy and the wow, this is going to be cool. And all points in between, thank you for these men. May they leave here encouraged. May they be celebrated. May the women in their life say thank you for being a man. May the wives and and others in their lives encourage them to be men and not hold them to a feminine standard, but let them be men and let them run as men. Thank you for fathers. Thank you for those that are doing it well. May you continue to draw their hearts to yourself. May they be encouraged today and may they understand that what they are doing is making a huge difference in their home, in this church and ultimately in our community and all of society by simply showing up, being a man and staying engaged. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.